Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. We had a friend in college who uh, grew his hair out really long. Uh, it was it was a glorious mane. It was a dude, and uh, it was like brown with natural blonde highlights. And uh, he was a few years older. I was always kind of intimidated. He was just real kind of like spiritual kind of guy that played the guitar. And one day I saw him, and he all his hair was gone. I was like, oh, what happened? Where'd it go? And he's like, I donated it to Locks of Love, uh, which I didn't know boys could do. Uh, but he he did that, <clears throat> and Locks of Love is a organization where people can donate their hair to make wigs for cancer patients. And a little embarrassing to say. Let's just say uh, in college I was what you would call a jerk. Probably a more accurate, not church-appropriate term for that. Uh, just a little like ranty, and I, I, it's embarrassing to bring this memory up. But I had just, actually, coincidentally, just heard, because I was a poor college student, I was always looking for ways to figure out how to get money, is that companies would pay you for your hair. Up to $2,000, I, I heard, depending on what your hair color was. And I was like, oh, bro, why'd you just donate it? You could have sold it for $2,000. And think of what you could have done. You could have you know, fed hungry children or sponsored a missionary or done something cooler. And... Uh, he just, you know, looked at me in his kind of like super spiritual way. And it's like, Josh, you sound like the bad guys when the, when the woman poured the perfume on Jesus. And uh, I mean, it sounds like I, I feel like I made that story up, but that actually happened. Like I actually said that I was, that's how I was back then. And, um, you know, God's working on me or whatever. But obviously that is a story of me coming up against, you know, the very ideas of this text, the very concept of this text. And it brings up a tricky thing for us to wrestle with, if we're just being honest, uh, which is this, um, the relationship or even the tension between the supremacy of Jesus, the goodness of worshiping him, the, the fact that no worship is too extravagant for King Jesus, and then just the logical, practical, strategic, productivity, efficiency, considerations of being a human on the earth with responsibilities and resources to manage and all that stuff. Both of these are in the Bible. But today, the teachings from Jesus in this passage, uh, in the, the main emphasis of this text, is, is, is I think that people can use good things to avoid Jesus Avoid intimacy with Jesus. And I've seen this over and over my journey through seminary and time working in churches. You know, church stuff can be an opportunity or a scheme to avoid like intimacy with Jesus. Big one in seminary is doctrine. You know, it's like we're going to get so caught up in the finer things of doctrine, you know, that we're mean and indignant and grumpy or whatever, and you know, outreach efforts or service activities or all this stuff, things that we can do to avoid simply being alone and feeling honest emotions in the presence of Jesus. And so my main point for us this morning is 
the phrase wasteful worship. And if that phrase makes you squirmy, then you're hearing me right. If you have all these but, 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 but coming up, uh, then I think you're getting what I think the text is trying to say. Our passage is squirmy. The thrust of our passage shows us that intimacy, love, affection for Jesus will show up in ways that are extravagant, not efficient, not measured or reasonable, but wasteful. That word is, is in our text. Why waste this perfume? So let's dive into the text here. If you got hungry while Sheila read that passage, it's because this is another example of a Markin sandwich. It's a literary, that was a joke, sorry. It's a literary device that Mark has used several times uh, throughout our journey through his, his, excuse me, his biography of Jesus, where he sandwiches two stories together, where the first one is the bread on either side, and then there's one in the middle. The bread of this Mark and sandwich is tough to chew. It's the story of people wanting to kill Jesus and betraying him in order to kill him. And so sandwiched between this murder and betrayal plot is a story of this wasteful worship, extravagant worship. Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 14. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Well, this is nothing new. Since chapter 3, we're in 14 now, since chapter 3, we have seen uh, talk of people wanting to kill Jesus because he did something as so offensive and insulting as heal a person <laughs> of a, you know, I'm not going to get into that. It's chapter three, Jesus heals someone and they go out. The Pharisees go out uh, to collude with the Herodians, the Roman oppressors for a way to kill Jesus. So that's been on the radar from the, from the beginning. And it's fascinating that part of the oppression of the Romans over the Jews, which was going on in this time in history and first century Israel was that the Jews under Roman rule did not have the authority to execute anybody for a crime or for a religious offense, which meant that Jesus's enemies had to find a way to work with their oppressors to kill Jesus. But they faced challenges. First, it was Passover. We'll talk about this a lot next week, but this is one of the high holy times for Jewish people uh, all the time today, but especially back then, um, they many, 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 many people would make the trip to Jerusalem, like save up all year uh, to have enough money to make the trip and walk, you know, for a week, you know, no cars back then to make it to Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem would have been packed, which is why the people wanting to kill Jesus were having trouble. Every alley, room, plaza, courtyard, whatever, would have been packed. And so, and also at the time, Jesus was experiencing a lot of popularity. And so they didn't want to arrest Jesus and have word get out and it create a riot, which was kind of like the one rule the Romans had for the Jews is like, just don't riot. <laughs> you know, just keep it under control. The Romans probably were on edge because there were so many Jewish people congregating in the city. 
So it's a dark couple verses here as we uh, kick off this passage, and they want to commit murder. They're scheming how to do it, how to collude with their oppressors, which is just like a staggering reality to think about. These people uh, who, you know, had inflicted so much pain and suffering, they're now like trying to use their power to kill Jesus. Verse 3. While he was in Bethany, reclining at table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. So we cut to Bethany, a little town two miles outside of Jerusalem, like a suburb, and it's where Jesus stayed for the Passover festival. Uh, Passover and the festival of unleavened bread, those two different things happen at the same time. And it was a doable walk into town, uh, you know, practically, probably just quieter, easier to find a spot than being in the hubbub. And he's in the home of Simon the leper, which is probably to say Simon the former leper, because at this time in history, if someone had leprosy, you were a total outcast. Uh, You would have had to stay away from everybody and shout unclean. You were definitely not hosting any dinner parties. So it's not hard to imagine that Simon was one of the people Jesus healed miraculously from leprosy. And a woman comes into the room where the men were reclining uh, around the table, a typical low Jewish table surrounded by cushions where men would kind of like recline on an elbow and reach and eat. And it sounds relaxing. And according to a similar story in the Gospel of John, this woman is called Mary of Bethany, which would be the Mary of Mary and Martha, which would be uh, the, the sisters of Lazarus, the guy who was raised from the dead, uh, which is, you know, we can't know for sure, but it was, it's fun to think, just connect the dots here across the four biographies of Jesus that could have made Simon their father, uh, and you can make the case that this is Mary, the same Mary who, in the story of Mary and Martha, chose the better portion to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to him. So we have this woman enter the room during a feast, a high holy day, and it would have been culturally startling or maybe offensive because typically uh, women would not have entered the room where men were eating unless bringing food, patriarchal culture back then. And more startling is she's carrying a jar of perfume, very expensive perfume. Back then, perfumes were kept, uh, the fancy ones, were kept in alabaster jars that would have been complete, like one piece. They wouldn't have had a lid or a little you know, spray thing or whatever. Uh, it, and while there would have been common perfumes or scented oils that would have typically been used by hosts to their guests as a way of hospitality or refreshment. Uh, that's not how the fancy ones were used. It was more like fancy perfumes were like a piece of art, uh, a family heirloom, something that would have been almost like a, like a savings account. It would have been extravagant amount of wealth and you'd keep it forever. And because it's one piece, you know, it's not like you could just use it a little bit at a time. Uh, it was kind of a one-and-done thing. So it was never used. And it's fascinating that this woman had this perfume uh, because women back then, patriarchal culture again, were not able to work very much or gain wealth or own land, you know, do things that would enable them to buy such extravagantly expensive things, which probably meant it was an heirloom, like handed down to her, maybe by Simon, her father, or... Uh, Maybe it was the thing that was to be her dowry if she were to get married. 
There's little doubt that this perfume would have been the most single expensive thing she owned, the most valuable thing in her life, her nest egg, the thing to fall back on, the thing that might help her get married, a gift to her husband someday. And it's this precious thing that she smashes open and pours over Jesus's head. We were praying over this text and staff meeting this week on Monday, and I love praying over texts with Ryan, our worship director, and he, he just asked the question, what must this woman have been feeling towards Jesus before this moment and in this moment to, to break open her most expensive possession? What emotions would move someone to do something so extravagant? How, and then how might Jesus, God in the flesh, receive such a beautiful thing? Just great questions to soak in and to imagine with their hearts. There's just no words to do justice to the over-the-top extravagance of this moment. And the word used in the text, another word would be waste, to shatter the jar and pour out all of it over Jesus. To break the thing that was meant to be kept in, in this woman's generation, uh, family for generations, to give to her children, her daughters, and on and on, she poured it out on Jesus, so much that it would have run down his head and soaked in his beard and saturated his clothes and overpowered the room with the scent. Like, uh, so, so potent, you, you know, you, one of those scents you could taste. Can you imagine, like, the, the stunned silence? That, that pause, that like flabbergasted moment of like, wait, what just happened? It's like, you know, someone with like a stack of $100 bills just been, just like lighting it and just like, wait, what just happened? But the silence ends seemingly pretty quickly. Verse four, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why waste this perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. The Greek word for indignation here has uh, literal connotations of flaring your nostrils. You know, you know, like that kind of indignation where you're, like, you're so like upset and you're just like a biological reaction to the thing that is upsetting you. Like, what are you doing? It's, a, it's an indignation, it's a physical discomfort that your face shows. And what is the source of their indignation? Money wasted. At least that's what they say. And here we are again. <laughs> if you've been walking through the Gospel of Mark with us, uh, we have money come up again. And, and again, money is seen kind of in a negative light. But those who have ears to hear, hear as this money could have been spent so much better. It could have been given to people who are hungry, who l truly need it. Now, maybe some of the guys here were honestly concerned about the poor, but according to the Gospel of John, his telling of the story, it wasn't quite so noble. It, it quotes Judas saying in John 12, uh, verses 5 and 6, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As the keeper of the money bag, 
he used to help himself to what was put in it. This is a piercing example of what Jesus would say is the deceitfulness of riches. Using the poor to cover up personal greed. Using the poor as an excuse to meet our own needs. So glad that never happens anymore. But regardless of whether or not that's what's happening here in Mark, where it's, it's, it's plural, others around the table, and there's no mus- uh, mention of Jesus, sorry, no mention of Judas's theft, there's a lot to think about. Because these guys aren't wrong. A year's wages could do a lot of good. You could feed a lot of hungry people. You could drill a well in Africa, buy, you know, life-saving mosquito nets for tons of people, rescue lots of girls out of sex trafficking. And scripture is clear in other places, using money to care for the poor is a good thing. Caring for the poor is immovably part of following Jesus. Jesus had a lot to say about all the favorite topics, money, caring for the poor, forgiveness, forgiving our enemies. Sorry, distracting. Caring for the poor is important, but but that's why Jesus's response is so strange, so surprising. Verse six, leave her alone, he says. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured out, poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Well, the first thing we have to see, I think, is that Jesus is not impressed by the strategic use of money for the poor. He's literally soaking in this beautiful, extravagant thing, act of worship that the woman has done for him. And with the perfume dripping off of his head, he's rebuking the rebukers. Leave her alone. And the second thing is just we have to see how beautifully nuanced Jesus sees the poor particularly in relationship to himself and in relation to our discipleship of Jesus. We could do a long, we spend a lot of time studying Jesus' teaching on the poor and how the disciples, his disciples are called to relate to them. Uh, suffice it to say, Jesus in Matthew 25 goes so far as to say that what we do for the poor, we're doing for him. What we don't do for the poor, we're neglecting to do for Jesus. It's this staggering passage that pierces me every time. Like Jesus so closely identifies with the poor and the downtrodden that he he says like we're the same. So Jesus is not indifferent to the poor. What I think Jesus is acknowledging is that when you focus on the poor, apart from intimacy with, with him, Apart from affection, this, this intimate, affectionate relationship with Jesus, things get broken. 
I wish I could explain this better. It's just this relationship to the poor and a relationship to Jesus have to be connected. Poverty exists in the world because the world is broken, because sin exists. People are poor because of sin, because they are sufferers. They're, they suffer in the result of broken societal structures and oppressive economic policies. And they also, people are poor because of their own personal choices. It's both of them. We've got to hold those together. Which means poverty will never go away until King Jesus comes back and makes all things new and we can live under his reign and rule forever. Which means that as we follow Jesus in caring for the poor, serving the poor, it must flow out of intimacy with him. It must start with him, center in him. We must move towards the poor the way we would move towards Jesus in humility and generosity and patience. We move towards the poor with, according to Matthew 25, with the goal of loving Jesus by loving the poor, developing intimacy with Jesus is the point, not some hyped up, goal to end poverty in this generation, as if we'll crack the code in this broken time of being a human and finally redistribute everything and make poverty go away. No, caring for the poor is immovably linked for Jesus followers with deep, affectionate intimacy with Jesus. And if it isn't, if we are doing things because... We want to fix things. We feel good when we fix things. Or we want to see someone stop being sad or because we think we have the answer, whatever. Then what will happen to our souls? We become indignant, grumpy, and judgmental, just like the people in this text. Jesus connects the woman's act of worship with his coming death. And that's the... That's the, the mayonnaise, I suppose, of this sandwich that connects it with the two pieces of bread in this Mark and sandwich. Surrounded by murder plots and betrayal, this beautiful act of affection, of intimacy, and wasteful worship that are preparing Jesus to die. Verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. The way Mark tells this story, it's almost as if this, is the, this moment with the woman and the perfume is like the final straw for Judas. Jesus, for, to, for Judas to see Jesus accept this wasteful worship, this over-the-top display of worship and honor is just too much. For Judas. And if we consider the Gospel of John's details about Judas being a thief, it's almost like Judas was so angered by missing out on a shot at what that perfume would have been worth, on getting his hands on the money that that perfume would have been worth, that he just had to like leave the room and go find money somewhere else, specifically in betraying Jesus. What was Jesus betrayed for? Money. 
We cannot miss how greed, how the love of money was instrumental in killing Jesus. It's terrifying. Again, Jesus warns about the deceitfulness of greed, the sneakiness of greed. It can masquerade as care for the poor even. I see this all the time as a pastor. People, the last thing that someone is willing to confess, to ask for help with, to let their church family speak into are, is, is their finances. People are quicker to, way quicker often to confess pornography that shattered their marriages, these big egregious sins before they would say like, hey, I'm, I just want to protect my heart against greed. We, we look at my budget. We look at my online banking and like, anybody else like squirming, just like thinking about that. But we just have to see that it was not Judas trying to get, you know, a woman to sleep with him or score some drugs or to get power and fame that caused him to betray Jesus. It was just some pieces of silver. It was money. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Money is like fire. Fire can be helpful, can heat your house, be cozy, little fireplace, cook your food. It can also burn you alive and destroy everything you own. A little fire is safer than a big fire. That's why we heat our homes with just a tiny little gas fire in the basement instead of, you know, roaring fires in each fireplace in every room, though it was back in the day. This passage is about more than money, but it's not about less. I think we should be sobered about the deceitfulness of money and how someone like Judas, someone who was one of Jesus's closest friends who lived every day with him in person for three years, could get to the point of greed where he would betray Jesus for a price so far less than what the perfume perfume was worth. Jesus himself said, you cannot serve God in money. You will Hate one and love the other. Despise one and love the other. The passage ends with the chief priests. Is it just a nauseating passage? They were delighted to hear of Judas's treachery. And so Judas went about scheming and watching for a chance to betray his rabbi, which brings us back to our main idea, wasteful worship. I think to be true to what this passage shows us, I honestly just am not trying to talk about money this morning, but I feel like we got to because it's, it's a part of the text. It's a part of the story. Money is so directly connected to our hearts. So just two questions. Is money a conscious, intentional part of your worship of God? or a diagnostic question. What would your checkbook say you worship? Maybe you haven't started, you know, contributing, buying into the work uh, here at Carl Road Baptist Church, and maybe you, the Holy Spirit's putting on your mind that you, you want to give a percentage of what God gives you each month to contribute to the work here. And that would be extravagant because times are tight. Inflation's crazy. It would require you to trust God. Maybe the Holy Spirit's putting something else on your mind, something that you treasure. I invite you to support LifeWise. $100 pays for one kid to do LifeWise all year long. It's $8 a month. 
But the main thing, whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to you regarding money, the main thing I want to invite us to as a church family is to waste time with Jesus. I pray that this passage would would be an invitation from the Holy Spirit for us as a church family to prioritize intimacy with Jesus, cultivate affection for Jesus. I invite you to consider the extravagant, expensive perfume that you have to pour out on Jesus to be the actual minutes, hours, and days of your life and to, and to waste them on Jesus. Now, for some reason, when it comes to our relationship with God, we just apply things that we don't apply to any other relationship. You know, where it's all about caution or conservatism or efficiency. Like, you know, don't, don't take it too seriously or whatever. You know, a quick five-minute devotional. Like, I get the verse of the day pop up on my phone, and that, that's, that's good enough. Or I can multitask, pray when, when I'm in the, in the car and check it off the box. And listen, all those things are good. All those things can be helpful to give your attention to God. But is that the only way you relate to God? Because that's not the way we would spend our time with any other thing that we love. And at risk of stepping on all of our toes, consider Buckeye football. Did you know that after every single Buckeye football game, the internet puts out this crispy eight-minute recap video? No commercials, no boring plays, no waiting for the refs to review calls. Just eight minutes. Get all the best parts of the football game and see who won and bada-bing, bada-boom. Think of all the more productive things you could do for the hours. You know, how, how long is the game? Four hours? And just watch the highlights and boom. That's, that's, that's not how we do it, is it? We throw parties. We listen to sports analysts talk about the coming game all week long. We discuss it with our friends. We watch the pregame show. We make an entire day out of watching the whole game. Why? Because we love the Buckeyes. We waste time on the Buckeyes. We waste time on what we love. We waste time with the people that we love. Time is one of my favorite things to talk about because it's the great equalizer. You and Bill Gates have the exact same amount of time. No matter how rich or powerful you get, you never get more time. It is the greatest treasure that all of us have. And when it comes to something you love, you don't even think about how much time you give to it. it, it we just pour out our time because we love it. And to put even finer point on it, finer point on it, because I think there's some good news nestled in this, is consider our attention. We give our attention to things we love. You know, we're dialed in. We're focused on the football game. And in an act of love, I could, you know, be spending, I could be physically present with my kids, right? But be miles from them. So it's a time of pouring out our time on something and then like, giving careful attention. I recently heard a pastor say, I've just been thinking about this for weeks now, that the biblical concept, the phrase fear of the Lord that shows up all over scripture that we don't really know what to do with because we're like, wait, what? God's my father and I love him. Why? He said, fear of the Lord is attention. 
pay close attention. We pay close attention to, to what we love, to what we revere and see value in. If we hope in politics, we revere the power of politics and what our political tribe says is good and evil, then it'll be natural to give our attention and closely follow the news. If we hope in money, revere the power of money and whatever increases money is good and whatever decreases money is bad, then we'll hoard it, fixate on it, scheme with it, consume our attention, the mental bandwidth. And of course, if you hope in God, revere God's power, care about what he says is good and what he says is evil, and it'll be natural to give our attention to God. And the good one step for us here this morning might be to just acknowledge that based on some diagnostic thought experiments, we might have some room to grow. We might, have, we, might, we might just come home to the fact that like, if I was looking at my budget, I was looking at my time, the Buckeyes went over Jesus every day. And, that's, and there's no shame, there's no condemnation. Awareness is 70% of the work and the truth will set you free. But here's the good news, and this is why I talk about attention. Our love follows our attention. And so we can, we can work the other way. We can choose what we give our attention to, even if we don't really want to, you know, on some level, we can choose to give our attention to something and you will see your affection, your love be shaped. I'd say that's probably why we love the Buckeyes and follow the news so closely because like there are, you know, multi-million billion dollar industries trying to shove that stuff into our minds, into our attention, we, we, it, what we give our attention to shapes our love. And th- this is good news because it means that you don't have to be like, wow, I just, I, I think on a gut level, I like the Buckeyes more than God. That's, that's where my resources go or whatever. You don't have to feel condemnation, but you can, the power that God has given you as a human being, choose what you put before your mind, what you give your attention to. And that's good news. Poet Mary Oliver, uh, who was just a beautiful prophetic voice, said famously, attention is the beginning of devotion. It precedes devotion. We can choose to give our attention to Jesus. And that, that is the beginning of feeling, embodying, living out genuine, authentic intimacy to Jesus. And maybe for the sake of church purposes, we could reword Mary Oliver's line that attention is the beginning of worship. This is a call to give God our time, our attention. And I think we'll see the power of the Spirit, our affection, our devotion, like the woman in this passage, grow to this beautiful act. And I think this call to give God, slow down, give God our time and to cultivate affection and intimacy with him is what I think is it we desperately need in this current season as a church family. There's a lot of transitions. We're all aware that Car Road Baptist Church is not the way it was a while ago. I know, I was back here in the 90s. I remember eating lunch every Wednesday night in the fellowship hall. Shout out to the class that made pizza. You were my favorite. I think that was, that was, that was the Lamberts over here, the, the pizza ministry. Hmm. Lord, bring it back. 
That's not happening now. It's sad. The future is unclear. And before we get to any discussion of things we need to do or things that might help our church grow, I think we need to embrace a season, like a, like a year-long season, ballpark, of, of wasting time with Jesus, drawing near to Jesus. And there's two sides of this, because I think there is genuine joy, delight, comfort, healing, freedom, in time with Jesus. But then Jesus himself says that apart from me, you can do nothing. It's, it's abiding in me is how you produce fruit. So any fruit we'd hope to see in our church, new folks joining, lost people getting saved, if it's the kind of fruit we want to see, it's going to flow from intimacy with Jesus, wasting time with Jesus. Intimacy like a branch is connected to the vine in the sense that they're one, they're the same plant. So I want you to invite you this year to take your calendar like a jar of perfume and break it open. Break it open over Jesus and time with him, the actual hours and minutes of your life. The two ways we're offering, inviting people into is to do this as region. Region is a, is a waste of time. If we're just like out there to try to get stuff done and check boxes. Forgive us if we've made it sound like this roller coaster ride that is just like amazing. Like it's hard work. It takes time. It's a daunting journey to go on. But it's a way, it's a way to choose to give God your time. Give God your attention see what he will do. The first, first round is just give God four weeks, see what happens. And then you think about the whole 80 some years of your life, like give God 10 or 11 months out of those years and see what he'll do. It's a concrete way to put God before your mind. Time to be with Jesus. The big part of region is daily time or five days a week time with, with God uh, on your own. And then you come to Tuesday and you're sharing with other people. And can I just say I'm so pumped about Regen. We just had a great time on Tuesday. I'm so encouraged by the, the I'm in the guys group, obviously, the guys that have showed up, the courage that they've shown, and uh, just the, the openness there. It's, it's exciting. And there's room for more, so join, join the party. And the next one is prayer. Talked about it last week. Uh, where one, the big heart, one of the big desires behind our prayer room, uh, which is over kind of next to the library, headed that way, is it's a way where you can go online, prayfornorthland.com slash prayer room, and uh, book some time in the prayer room to be alone with God. Of course, God is everywhere. He's in your car. He's in, in your room, at home, in the kitchen, wherever. Uh, but there's something beautiful about booking time and going to a place set aside for prayer. Like it's, it's what you do with friends. I got a text at 3.30 from a college buddy the other week who said, Hey, I'm driving through. Can I stop by? It's like, yeah, I want to see you. It was, you know, it was like crazy time trying to get dinner and get out to an FCA thing I was doing. Just, but yeah, stop by. You, you, you make time. You, you create space for people you love. And so I'd invite you to do that. And then join us on the, the third Monday of each month for our 24-hour prayer watch. Sign up to help cover our city in prayer. Shout out to Donna again, covering the 11th hour, which is two hours after I'm in bed, so I'm glad someone's up, that, up at that time. 
uh, and uh, cover the city in prayer just for that one 24-hour period. And we have three prayer, like corporate prayer gatherings you can come to the prayer room and join us in at 7 a.m., noon, and 7. There's obviously other ways to waste time with Jesus, other ways to pour, crack your calendar open and just be with him. But uh, those are just some things we're holding out there. Concrete opportunities. Uh, if you say no to those, uh, write down. Say, say yes to something else. Because it's haunting if you think about it. The guys in the text uh, who may or may not have really been concerned about the poor show us that when you miss, the, this is the other path. When you miss intimacy with Jesus, Affection for Jesus, the other option is being indignant, grumpy, judgmental, anxious. And instead, the woman who wasted a year's wages on Jesus is being talked about 2,000 years later as having done a beautiful thing. Look again at verse 8. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. This beautiful, wasteful act of worship was preparing Jesus for his burial because Jesus would go out and successfully betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus would be nailed to a cross. His body would be broken like an alabaster jar. His blood would pour out like perfume for you and for me. And he was broken and poured out so that we could experience healing for the grief that we carry, for the grief that we avoid by never slowing down. He died for that sense that we're unlovable, that would keep us escaping into wasting time on food and movies and and football just to avoid feeling that shame. He died for all of that. Jesus is the only person in the world in existence who's worth breaking our lives open for because he broke his life open for you and for me. Let me pray. Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K A R L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Carl Road Baptist Church. And don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.